We're going to talk about, uh, continue to talk about this astonishing God that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And today the word is mission. So almost always when you hear the word mission, you're like, okay, wait, is that, is that about me? What, what mission should I be on? Matter of fact, almost all of us have always wondered, what's my mission in life? What should I be accomplishing? What should I be focusing on? Where should I be going? What direction should I be headed in? You remember, you're like, even back to when you were five years old, this is actually a question that you ask in your heart. And then you hit junior high, you tend to ask it again, and you go after it, and then high school, and and then college or when you get married and it's one of those big questions that we ask man what what's our mission what should we be about what should we be what should we be doing now as we talk about it today and this whole series has been about god it's this astonishing god so today as we get started it's not about you this is about god and what have we learned about this We've learned that God is. He's the great creator. He's omniscient. He, he's everywhere. He's, he, it's incredible who he is. We've learned that he has created all of this for his glory. And remember all that? We, we learned that he is. He's totally self-sufficient. He doesn't need us or anyone else at any time. He's totally complete. He is. He always has been. He always will be. All these astonishing things, but it, it left us with this question. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If God is all these things, doesn't that mean he, he's kind of into himself? Like, is it okay that God is totally focused on his glory? And that everything is supposed to give glory to him and show his glory? And we found this amazing truth, right? This just incredible truth. His glory is greatest. One of the greatest moments of his glory ever is when he gave his life on the cross for others. When the God who is love showed who he was when he poured grace out on others. Like, whoa, the most astonishing ever. And we took it even a step further, which was there is no conflict between God's glory and our pleasure. In other words, God is most glorified when we find the most pleasure in him. In other words, we can seek what's best for us, and God can seek his glory at the exact same time, and they go together. That was, that was really astonishing. But this is what I want you to, to, to wrestle with this, or take, not wrestle, to grab a hold of as we start this piece here. What we, what we saw through the whole thing was that whenever we don't glorify God and we don't give thanks to God, things go sideways. They go bad. It, it doesn't create goodness. It creates devastation. And even one step further, the Bible talked about how that we oftentimes, we set God's glory aside and we replace it with our own glory or something that we make, something on this earth. And so we... Don't do well when it's about our glory. It's about us or it's about our mission. When, when that happens, like I said, evil happens. Emptiness happens. See, we do fantastic when we find something astonishing or someone astonishing and we worship the one who's great. You see, with thankfulness, 
as, as, as human beings, human beings are at their best when they're thankful. Human beings are at their best when they're in awe of who God is. And so when we talk about mission today, we do not first want to focus on what is your mission. We want to focus on God's mission. We want to move forward with God's mission, not our mission. So let's jump in. Let's find out what Jesus knew. Well, first of all, Jesus knew his mission. I mean, he did not come to earth to find out his mission. He, he never once in his life said, man, I wonder what my mission is. I wonder what, what it is. He knew exactly what his mission was. Now, bef- before I read this passage, I want to remind you that the person who said this, and, and what happened was he went to the temple. And this is the beginning of his ministry. He goes to the temple, and he reads a passage from the Old Testament, and he said, this is who I am. Now, this is a 30-year-old man. Yes, he was God. But this is a 30-year-old man <clears throat> who in his entire life, the only time he'd ever been honored was when he was two years old, maybe three. And the wise men came and brought him gifts and said, he's amazing, wow. Now, it's true he may have remembered that because he's God. But that's the only time. There was one other time when he went to the temple and he he was teaching at 12 years old. He was teaching the people in the temple. And his parents scolded him for it because they couldn't find him. Those are the two times. Besides that, he has lived his entire life as a carpenter, learning to be a carpenter from his dad. He walks in and he says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. If they track the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord is on me meant God has given me something special to do. There's something God wants me to do. In the Old Testament, whenever God was going to do something great through someone, they would say the Spirit of the Lord was on him. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. In other words, he's chosen me. He has anointed, literally poured out upon me his Spirit to do this mission. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm here for. To proclaim good news to the poor. In other words, he wanted to come to the poor and he wanted to tell them something that would let them know, hey, there's good news here. And that good, Jesus doesn't believe in good news that's talky-talky. He believes in good news that actually is good news. It's going to change you or your situation. He says, he sent him to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Sight for the blind and set the oppressed free. Now, does that language, does that hit you with what we're going through right now? Like, everybody's going like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I I feel the pressure too. I I feel it in the different conversations that I have with people. And and you can sense it. You can sense that they they want our church to do something about it. And they tend to, you can almost tell, they, they want to tell me what the church ought to do about it or what I should do about it. They're not really coming sharing what they're doing about it, but they, they, you can tell. They're listening to see if I'm going to say what they want to hear. This, and it's about these words right here. So here's Jesus. He says, I know what my mission is. It's to help the poor with this this good news, whatever that means. It's to give sight to the blind, 
set the prisoner free and set the oppressed free. Wow. This is exactly what we're looking for. I want to ask you something. What's your plan? What's your present plan? What do you think will do it? I know you've been talking about it. Oh, we should do this, and this should be that, and this is the real problem. People don't see the real problem. We need, to, we, we need people to see the problem. If we see, and all different opinions all over the I know you've been talking about it. What's your plan? Because God has a mission. See, Jesus was not only crystal clear about what his mission was, it was how he was going to do it. How would he accomplish that? How would he do that in those people's lives? Jesus was crystal clear about his mission. What is he going to do? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Does that hit you as astonishing? Oh, come on. That's that church thing. And you may look at it that way. You may see sin as something the church came up with. What is sin? Sin is when you miss the mark. Sin is the opposite of righteousness or goodness. Sin, if it, if it begins to be given names, in terms of what we're talking about, sin is whenever you try to find glory from any place but God. Sin is when you try the source of your, the source of your pleasure. The source of your life, where you would be satisfied from, what you want to drink from or get it from, is anything but God himself. Like, oh, that's, that's that church thing. No, that's not a church thing. It's a real thing. So if you think sin is just something people kind of do, this isn't going to be astonishing to you. But if you look at it the way that Jesus looks at it, which is this, at the root of racism is sin. Like, no, sin is a, 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 no, no, racism is a sin. No, racism is the fruit of pride. Racism is the fruit of, hey, I deserve, I am better than someone else. Racism is the fruit of the idea that there are groups of people that because they're a certain color or they come from a certain place, they're anyway different at the core than someone else. Sin is the root of oppression. Sin is the root of the abuse of power. No, the abuse of power is sin. True. But are you thinking you're going to get rid of the abuse of power without first getting rid of sin? Jesus doesn't look at it that way. All that we, got, we have going on around us, poverty, at the root of poverty, is sin. Oh, you're saying that people are poor or sinful. You've got to twist it hard to come up with that one. No. I'm saying the fruit of sin is poverty. You see, Jesus said, the way that I am going to set them free 
The way I'm going to give them sight, the way that I am going to give good news to the poor is I'm going to deal with the sin. He later says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There he does. He did it again, guys. What? He did it again. Here's, here's God. He has all the power in the world. And what's he going to do with his power? We are going to put those people in their place. We are going to take care of this situation. We're going to make these people do what we want. No. He said, I'm going to take my power. I'm not going to force people to do anything. I'm going to take my power and I'm going to serve all the way to the end of which I'm going to give my life as a sacrifice. You see, there's no, you can't see any honor in this. There's nothing astonishing about this if you look at it from our world. The creation of the universe is astonishing. It absolutely is. The stars in the sky is astonishing. You can look at that and go, oh my goodness, God is so astonishing. You, you, you travel, have you ever seen a snow peak mountain? Oh my, it blows you away. You can't stop looking at it. It's so astonishing. This was not. This was, this was grace. This was giving someone, serving someone who did not deserve to be served and then giving your life in the most humiliating, demeaning way possible for someone who hated you. Why is that astonishing? You see, because God does not use our way or our mission. God has a mission of his own, and he's going to complete that mission in a very specific way. It's by grace, which leads to service, which leads to sacrifice. That's astonishing. Jesus came to a world that is every bit just as broken as our world. And what did he do? He said, I'm going to bring the entire power of the universe and I'm going to act in love and I'm going to serve and I'm going to fulfill the mission that I've been given. I'm going to set people free. That is astonishing. That's his mission. That's his whole mission. Jesus is also clear about our mission. Now we're going to talk about us a little bit, but let's be focused. Let's stay focused on what Jesus has to say, not focus on ourselves. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So he has already died on the cross. He's rose from the dead, and he told the disciples, I want you to meet me here. This is the last thing he says just before he leaves and goes back to heaven. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That's interesting, right? So these are men who've watched this 30-year-old man for three years. He's now 33 years old. He's no longer just a carpenter. He has healed people. He has done miracles where he controlled the weather. He has fed thousands of people. He has given literally sight to the blind. He has taught in ways that blew them away. They watched him die, and now they see him alive. And they're like, I, I, I just can't. I don't know. It's so hard to believe. 
so interesting how Jesus interacts with doubters. You know what he does with doubters? He continues to reveal himself to them. He encourages them. Now be careful. They're not self-righteous. The self-righteous says, no, Jesus has to prove himself to me. The self-righteous says, no, 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 no. I have my own plan for handling this. I'm not buying into this until you show me how your plan is going to work. Tell me how this is going to help us. And you're going to judge God's plan. We don't have time to go into all of this. I just want you to know it's not good for you, the way he responds. But for the doubter, if you're a doubter, keep walking with your doubt. Don't think you have to come to a complete conclusion and be like, I believe, I believe. No. These, These people are doubters, and he gives the mission to the doubters as well as the others. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What's the authority have to do with anything? Well, whenever you give someone a mission, authority is all about it. It's, it's core. If, if you're going to follow somebody's mission, it has everything to do with who had the authority to give you that mission. And not only that, when someone else comes along and they tease you with another mission or they think you should be on another mission or they, they try to get you or coax you to, to take off on another mission, maybe a good one. The question is, who has authority to give the mission? It works like with the, you at work. You're at work and maybe you have a, a manager who's over you. And so they come to you and they say, I want you to go on this mission. Go do this. So you take off and you're, you're doing the mission. And along comes the vice president. And the vice president says, what are you doing? He says, I'm doing this mission. He goes, you know what? I don't want you to do that mission. I want you to do this other mission. Now, if you're wise, you're going to do what the vice president tells you to do. Why? He has more authority than the first one. And so you go off and you're doing that mission. You get your work done. And, up, and you walk across the, the path of the president. And the president says, what are you doing? He says, I'm, I'm doing the mission that the vice president gave me to do. And he goes, that's not the mission I want you on. This is the mission I want you on. If you're wise, you're going to do what he says. He has the ultimate authority. Jesus says, I have been given ultimate authority. No one with more authority will ever come into your life and say, that's not the mission I want you to do. I want you doing this. God the Father will not show up and go, you're on the wrong mission. This is what I want you to do. Jesus has all authority. He goes on to say, and therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Now, now, if you respond to this, oh, like build the church, like, you know, Get people to believe what you believe. You know, get people to join your religion. Then this is not astonishing. But that's not what that means. You see, what make disciples means is that someone who is a slave to sin, who has self-doubt about who they are and who is trying to figure out how to be good enough so their life is valuable. They're trying... To make sense out of life. But it's empty. And sin ultimately rules their life. Sin might ultimately rule their life so they're really evil people and they hurt a lot of other people. Or sin might rule their life that they're really self-righteous 
And so they think they're helping a lot of other people, but the fruit, the ultimate fruit of their life, racism, oppression, poverty. To become a disciple is to move from that person to accepting one forgiveness. This person now has a relationship with God himself. They can experience the glory of God. They can experience the pleasure of God, the satisfaction of God. They are a disciple. They are a follower of Jesus Christ. They have gone from, I'm trying to be good enough, I'm trying to be good enough, I'm trying to be good enough, I'm trying to make my life into something, to the Lord Jesus Christ giving them his righteousness and being able to say to them, you are everything I ever dreamed you would be by my grace. That is astonishing. That's an incredible change in that person's life. He goes on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, they become part of the family of God. They become part of a true family, an eternal family. For many of you, this is a big deal. You have lived your entire life And you have had to try to make your dad into somebody he's not because he was not a good father. And his father before him was not a good father. And when you become a disciple and you are baptized into the, not by water, but by the Spirit, when you are baptized into the body of Christ, God is your dad. You get to call him daddy. You get to relate to someone who is full of glory and who says that you are number one and he will protect you and build you and grow you. He will be your daddy forever. That's a really, really big deal. It's astonishing. And the son, you become brothers. You become part of a family whereby you do not live your life based on your own opinion. You don't live your life based on your own experience. You live your life on the fact that I am his brother and he's my brother. Lots of us come from families where the brothers don't get along. And and you know the drama of what that's like and it's always there. And this is moving from that's my family to no. Jesus Christ is my brother. That's astonishing. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, literally comes and dwells you. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. <clears throat> I can hear you. I can hear you saying it. Oh, uh, yeah, that's what I thought. It's all about, you got, you got to do what God says. You got to obey the Bible. It's the same church stuff I've always heard. The only reason God wants to do this, he just wants to control people. And, and he just, he wants to get them in order. He just... He just, in any way, nobody can do it anyhow. No, no, you, you misunderstand. The mission that Jesus has sent us on is to introduce people to Jesus that he might change who they are on the inside so they might live an entirely different life on the outside. The reason that we teach them to obey everything is because we teach them what's actually true so they're not living based on a lie. Because when you live based on a lie, it always leads to destruction. 
You, you don't think it's an amazing, incredible mission? An astonishing mission that Jesus has sent us on? That we would introduce people to Christ so that even though they're now alcoholics, they could find the real source of the problem in their life, which is sin. They could identify what that sin is, and they could find that Jesus Christ has overcome that sin, and they could go from being an alcoholic to being a loving father. You don't find that mission astonishing? I think it's incredible. I think it's over the top. You see, our church talks about moms and fathers and families a lot. We do. We don't have the power to change a man from a lousy father to a good father. We don't have the power to do that. What we have been called to do is introduce people to Jesus Christ who gave his life and has the power to change that man because I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that if we take a man who is full of pride and uses force on his wife and on his children to get what he wants, and they become humble. In other words, they obey the word of God. They become humble human beings. Now, I'm so convinced of it because we have story after story of it at Skyline. Of wives going, I can't believe this guy. I can't, he, he is totally different than the guy I married. What happened? He went from proud to humble. He went from selfish to loving. He went from cold to kind. He went from self-focused to compassionate. That's the mission that Jesus has called us upon. That's what he has asked us and made crystal clear what his mission is and crystal clear what your mission is and what my mission is. We're going to hear from a, a missionary now. and uh, This is a missionary who's traveled to Paraguay. He's from our church. He grew up in Ecuador. But he's married to Juanita. Juanita grew up in, e in East Orange, right here. And she was called to be a part of God's mission, and she said yes. I want you to meet Dario and listen to his story. God's mission, as he has shown it to me, for me has been a process. At around 10 years old, I would go with a group of adults from a home church and visit a small village once a month. It was an indigenous community who had their own language and culture. It was fascinating. I enjoyed going out there, but oftentimes I wondered, what's the point of going there if we cannot understand each other? Later, right out of high school, for the next nine years, I had a chance to lead several short-term mission teams into different indigenous communities to help build houses, play soccer with the kids, and bring humanitarian aid. Seeing this interaction with these people in part bothered me because there was obviously a language and culture barrier that kept us from going deeper. Although we called each other friends, there was no spiritual connection. Something was missing. Something had to be done. But what was it? I noticed that in these communities, most of the adults were illiterate. Children dropped out of school early on. They had portions of the Bible, but couldn't read or understand it. I asked myself, why don't they have the Bible in their heart language? Do they know their purpose in life? What's God's mission for these people? Has anyone ever clearly told them of the one true God of the Bible? 
All this caused me to ask myself the question, what's God's mission for me and these people? I wanted to be part of God's mission, but how do I go about it? I started by seeking counsel from other believers, and it helped me take the next step. During this time, I, went, I met a couple who lived and worked as missionaries in another country. I asked them, what's like being a missionary and what type of work you do? I shared with them my love for languages and that I'm studying linguistics. They eagerly explained that having a background in linguistics is helpful to one day be part of the Bible um, translation team. That was eye-opening. I had no idea that I could use my degree to help put a language in a written form and then translate the Bible. I went on a couple of vision trips to see firsthand what missionaries do and how they get to live among a people group that has no concept of having a relationship with God, the creator owner of the universe. My impression from those vision trips was that the whole process of doing missions in an indigenous context is challenging yet rewarding. So shortly after that, I came to a point where I had to choose. And so that day I said yes to God. God's mission as I was seeing it was to reach an indigenous people that have never heard the gospel in their heart language outside of my country. So I said yes. So saying yes to God meant that I had to hold my own plans loosely and maybe even forget them altogether. There was a time when I wanted to be a traveling hippie and teach Spanish, but after all he had shown me about his mission, I saw that his plans were better than mine. Saying yes to God also meant I had to leave my family behind. This was hard because my mom is a single mom who at that time had young kids still at home to raise and had to work several jobs to care for them. But again, I had to trust God that he would take care of them. I had to leave behind my uh, comfort, miss out on birthdays, graduations, a familiar environment, and even favorite foods. I had to resign from a job that I had worked for nine years and turn down good job offers that I received afterwards. Saying yes to God meant to be laughed at and ridiculed by friends, family, and old bosses because I was choosing to leave behind a comfortable and perhaps easier life. Instead, I got married, and my wife and I trained together to become missionaries in the country of Paraguay, where God had brought us to live and work three and a half years ago. So what does it look like to keep saying yes to God now? It's been here in this country because that's where he has led us as a family to be in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ to an enriched people group in a way that they can, they can understand finally. To keep saying yes to God translates into times of doubts and sometimes insecurity. There are days I ask myself, am I doing the right thing? Am I the best person qualified for this? Is this the best place to raise my family? But then I remember we're not alone and that He is here with us every step of the way. Saying yes means continually keeping our eyes focused on the course, constantly looking back on God's care ever since we journeyed to partner with Him in His mission to be His hands and feet. To keep saying yes means trusting God whose plans are perfect. 
His mission for me is about these people whom he loves so much, just like he loves you, for now. Loves you and me. We may face rejection by the people. They may not like how we speak their language or what we have to say, even though it's true. To keep saying yes to his mission is to invest our energy, effort, and time and not give up when those hard times come. It is to realize over and over again that it is not about me and my abilities or strength, let alone my weaknesses. It's truly about God joining in his mission so more people come to know and praise him. Lastly, to keep saying yes means that one day, and we pray for this, the community where we work will have a clear understanding of who Jesus Christ is and that he gave his life so they too can have eternal life. I am so humbled by the fact that he has invited my family and I to give up everything for a task that has the certainty to change people's life for all eternity. I love the fact that we can hear all the way from Paraguay. It's really incredible. Did you did you catch uh, some pretty important pieces there? So he, he said it over and over again. He, he didn't answer the call to his mission. It's true. He had passion. He had talents. He has abilities. And yes, God has used all of those in where God has taken him and the way that God's going to use him to help set people free. But that's not where it started. Where it started was when he said yes to God. And then... He has all these different times that he's going to say yes, 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 again and again and again where he hits obstacles. And the yes is the same thing every time. Can I trust God? Will God take care of me? Is this what God has called me to do? And along that way, he discovered some of his talents and abilities and how that can make such an di incredible difference. His talent to interpret or to uh, write the Bible in someone else's language. Wow, what a talent. That's not the core. That's not the core of what the, of what the call is or him saying yes. And all the way to the end, when it gets hard, he doesn't stay there because he said yes. He stays there because God called him and he said yes to God, to Jesus. You trust him. There's something that Jesus said in another place where he, claim, he, he declares the mission and I want to take a look at a few principles we grabbed from there. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. One is that Jesus has other sheep. There are people all over our world, all over our community, some in your family, that Jesus wants to reach. There are sheep. They are his sheep. There are people that he's going after that he is inviting to be free and to be given sight. To, to find real life. They're around you. These, she these sheep are scattered outside of our church or churches. You know, that's why Skyline operates the way it does. Skyline is not for us. Skyline is not so you can come someplace and, and be loved and be taken care of and, and build this great, amazing life and do your mission. No. 
There are people scattered all over Bloomfield. That's where our focus is. There's people scattered all over the world. And if we focus only on ourselves, we're not going to see them. And that's our mission. Jesus is committed to his lost sheep. How do you know that? Well, first and foremost, he came and served and gave his life. And he calls you and I to do the exact same thing. See, he's still committed to the serving and the sacrifice. But he's invited you and I to be a part of it. He's invited our church to be a part of it. And lastly, the sheep will come. You don't measure success of your life, and you don't, you don't look at your life and go, oh, look, all these people that I led to Christ. You don't know when the sheep are going to come. You don't actually know which sheep are the ones that Jesus is going to specifically use in his mission to reach. If you, read, uh, if you read it all about missions and how people have gone around the world, there are story after story of the pioneer missionary who goes someplace and they minister for years and years and years. And they see maybe one or two or th- three people come to Christ, but they just keep serving and sacrificing and serving and sacrificing. And then the next missionary comes along and that maybe that missionary passes away and then... Whew, The sheep come. You see, we don't stay with the mission. We don't accept the mission and then stay with the mission because, yeah, look at what we're doing. This is great. This is awesome. We're winners. No, no, no. We are part of Jesus' mission. He will bring the sheep. We just trust him for that. Will you answer the call? There's a couple ways you can answer the call. One is, God, help me on my mission. No, it's not your mission. Or, God, I will help you on your mission. No. The answer is, yes, God, you are my authority. I belong to you. I understand this is my mission. Your mission is always my mission. It is not about saying yes to sacrifice. It is about saying yes to the mission regardless of the sacrifice. You have no idea the sacrifice or if there will be any. But you know that you are saying yes to Jesus and his destination. I am part of the greatest possible mission. You know that your life is going to last for eternity. People are going to come to Christ and you get to be a part of it. You get to be in the middle of the action You are going to be in the middle of the best of God's glory. You are going to get to see God's heart, Christ's heart, experience Christ's heart, because you are going to be right in the middle of the mission with him. It is astonishing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray first of all for the sheep all around our church that you've sent us to reach. Lord, help us to serve and to sacrifice. Help us to measure our life based on serving and sacrificing, not on building and collecting. Then, Lord, I want to pray for our church. That we will always be a church that is focused on you, saying yes to you, trusting you, 
being astonished at you and responding to you. Lord, I pray for me as our pastor that I never trade in your glory and your greatness and your goodness and your mission for anything that's on the face of the earth. And lastly, I pray for every person who's watching this, many of whom you are calling right now, you've been calling them for a while, and they're saying, wait, 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 maybe, 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 that today would be the day they would say beyond a shadow of a doubt, yes, Jesus, your mission is absolutely my mission. I accept the call. In your name we pray, amen.